In the book of Exodus, just before, sometime before God would descend upon Mount Sinai, God reminds the Israelites of what happened to Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. And if you remember any part of that story, you remember things don't turn out very well for that army at the Red Sea, right? And the people respond to God, reminding them, by saying, whatever the Lord says, we will do. Now, our Thursday morning Bible study group looked at those words this past week, and we concluded uh, knowing the rest of the story that, well, that was kind of a big lie, right? <laughs> they didn't really do everything God said, right? And then we thought about some of those words from Psalm 23, right? Familiar words, right? Steve, I was impressed. He, he didn't use his Bible. I thought he forgot it at the table. I was going to give it to him. He recited it from memory, and a lot of us can do that, can't we? The Lord is my shepherd, See, our group also said that's a lie, too. (laughs) Oh, I hear of a lot of people wanting a lot of things. Hmm? So you got people in church lying. I shall not want. You know, we've talked before about Psalm 23, about this perception that many people have that Psalm 23 is a is a psalm of death, right? The psalm you hear at funerals all the time. And sure, they give comforting words and everything. And some Bible translations kind of put that into us with a translation that says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? When we use the word forever, we generally tend to think of, you know, what's after this life and what's after this world, right? But other translations, I think, do a better job of translating that text when they say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And see, when we say it that way, we don't generally tend to think of this life in some other place another time. We think about the life we have right now in this place. And so that Psalm 23 isn't a psalm about death. It's actually about life. It's about the life that we trust to God. Now, many people read those words, and they're familiar, and they, and they know them, and they've heard them over and over and over, but when they really start to get looking at what it says, I shall not want, even though I walk through the darkest valley, da-da-da-da-da, it really more than anything seems idealistic. How in the world can I go through life without wanting? How in the world can I trust in God in my darkest valley? How? Can I do these things? That just sounds like religious fluff, if you will. Sounds nice, but certainly not something that we can have. I'm going to suggest to you this morning, rather convincingly, I think, that it's not religious fluff. It is the life we can have here. But it all depends, and it all begins with what we are devoted to. Now, think about that word devotion, right, or devoted. That's one of those words people kind of throw out all the time. We say, oh, she or he is devoted to their work or devoted to some cause, right, a worthy cause. And, and maybe, maybe they are devoted, but I think it's helpful to, to understand what that word really means. And here's the whole definition of the word devote. To give up 
or apply oneself or something with the seriousness and earnestness evoked by, and here's the key for us, a formal vow. So we can't say that somebody is devoted, technically, if they haven't made a formal vow. Devouted, maybe. Y'all with me? Now that's important because Luke uses this word, uh, devoted, right? He says that the people there uh, were devoted. They devoted themselves. And I want to look at what they did and what they were devoting to, but before I do that, I think it's important for us to back up a few verses and to make sure we understand what is going on. Think about Pentecost Sunday and the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they're filled with the Spirit and they're speaking in tongues, all these things. Sometime after that, Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And Luke tells us that his sermon pierced the heart of 3,000 people. Now, I know the Holy Spirit's there and everything else, but I mean, I got to say, your first day on the job, 300 people respond, not bad, Peter, not bad at all. But have you ever heard a sermon that pierced your heart? Maybe here or in a place like this, that as you heard the words of the preacher, whatever she or he was telling you, you knew that she or he or maybe that even God was talking to you. Well, let me ask you something, if you have. So what? Now, we've talked about before, especially over the last several weeks, I've wanted to emphasize response, right? How we respond. If you heard one of those kind of sermons before, how did you respond? Because some people would argue that a sermon is incomplete, even if you liked it, even if you thought it was the best one, even if you took notes, even if you tried to remember everything you could, even if you thanked the pastor on your way out to dinner, it's incomplete. It may even be a bad sermon if it doesn't lead you to some kind of change. I was with the Sunday school class with the children with Miss Mary Lou, and they have a song. What time is it? It's time for change. That's kind of what God does. Isn't that right, Miss Mary Lou? <laughs> what time is it? It's time for a change. Thank you, sister. And that a sermon, if it doesn't do that, might be incomplete, might even be bad. And that's why I know you all know this, and you look at it every week. That's why in the back of our bulletin we have a section entitled, Now What?, because we want to help you move towards that change that God is doing. Just like with Peter. See, understand, Peter wasn't up there in front of all these people giving them a lecture. He wasn't giving them information. He, wasn't, he didn't have a three-point sermon. As far as sermons go, if I were to preach something like that, you'd think, well, what happened to him? He wasn't worried about having a sermon series. He wasn't giving them information. He was offering them a new way of life. And you know what? They responded. They responded to Peter's sermon by being baptized. Right? That's what Luke tells us. Now, think about them being baptized. And I don't 
think that they had liturgy like we do. They wouldn't have had. But I, I do believe that there was probably some sense of, do you understand what you are doing? Do you know why you want to do it? And what happens next? Now, we think about today when someone comes to be baptized, we have what we call baptismal vows, don't we? That you all read through. Or when someone becomes a member of the church, we have membership vows, right? Or think about when a couple gets married, they, they have marriage vows. And sometimes pastors got to be careful because sometimes these young couples, they want to write their own vows. And pastors really got to make sure these are vows and not just some sappy love language, right? It's got to be vows that they will devote themselves to. You all with me? So they were baptized, and I have to believe that there's some type of vow that they committed to. And then Luke tells us that these recently devoted people, excuse me, recently devoured people, then devoted themselves to something. And I think that's key for us today. They devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayers. And I think we could say a whole lot about each one of those. We could spend each Sunday, every one Sunday at least, on each one of those and how important they are and how they work and We don't have time to do that today, but more than anything, what I want you to remember about their commitment and their devotion to those things is this, that each one of those was done in the sense of community. Each one of these are communal. Nobody got up and said, hey, okay, I baptized myself. Now, Mr. Apostle, I want you to come with me to my house so you can teach me. Or waiting to celebrate and get the baptismal vows and think, you know, I want to go fellowship with myself and the Lord. And thank God for my relationship with Jesus. Nobody said, hey, I want to have communion by myself. Can y'all go away, please? This is kind of personal. I don't even think they said, you know what? I got to go home and pray and pray and pray and pray by myself. Pray when I get up. Go hide myself in the closet and pray. Get up in the morning, go to bed at night, and pray by myself. No, all these things I'm convinced, and I think we see, were done together. Hmm? Where they heard the teaching together, where they fellowshiped together, and they broke bread, shared communion together, and prayed together. Maybe they had an ongoing list of names they kept track of. Who knows? But they did all these things together. And it only seemed natural, I think, out of all that for them to say, you know what? Why don't we all just live together, too? And you bring your stuff, I'll bring my stuff, and we'll be one big happy family. This maybe just seemed like the natural response. And I'm not quite convinced that the section here in Acts 2 is the final blueprint of what it means to be a faithful church, that if we're going to be faithful, if we're going to be the church, that we have to bring everything here, we all have to live here at this building, and we all have to share income. I'm not convinced that that is what the text is trying to get us to see. We live in different times, we live in a different culture, and things are quite a bit different. But what I want, I think, us to realize is that these things 
terribly important when we do them together. Y'all with me? We're missing out on something when we choose to do these things by ourselves. There's something about doing these things together. Now, what happens when we devote ourselves to these things? I'd probably say a lot of things happen. We learn, sure. We learn how to be like Jesus. We learn how not to want. We learn how to trust. We learn how to be faithful together. We learn these things together. And as someone who has committed his own self to learning those things in community, let me tell you, it is a blessing when we do those things together. But there's something else that happens as well that I want us to be mindful of. My poor family, I have said this probably a million times, probably almost every day. We'll be picking one of the kids up from school or sitting around watching TV or something, and somebody will say something like, whoa, that's awesome. And generally they're they're talking about, I don't know, a pencil or an outfit or something. One of the kids says, that's awesome, right? And my response is, I thought only God was awesome. Hmm. I thought only God was awesome. Look, even the church people know. Man, I must be. Yeah, Miss Manette. That's right. I love it because when we think about what awesome means, whatever we're talking about, if we say it's awesome, what we're saying is that thing generates awe. And I'm sorry, a pencil's never really done that for me. Sitting around the dinner, the lunch table yesterday, somebody said, man, we were, we were eating. They said, the food was awesome. And while it was very good, I've never been awestruck by a fajita plate. <laughs> Close, <laughs> but not quite. Not even chocolate. It's really good. But it's not awe. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but Luke tells us that these recently vowed people, devoted people, were just awful. Now, that's a word we sort of use in a different way, doesn't it? Usually when you say or someone says something is awful, what they mean to say is something is terrible, horrible. Oh, those kids, they're just awful. They're bad. Right? But that's not what Luke does. Luke says that these people were full of awe. They were quite literally awful. Which is what the word means, does it not? Full of awe. They knew God to be awesome because of what they were experiencing in their community and friends. They were very quite awful. Now I love that because I think Luke maybe is kind of like me. I think he would have said, you know, if somebody said that pencil was awesome, I think he would have said, I thought only God was awesome. In Luke's uh, works, right, we understand that Luke most likely, one person, Luke, wrote the book of Luke and wrote the book of Acts as sort of maybe something to be read together, volume one and volume two, right? 
And that in those two books, Luke uses the word all twice. Once here, and another time, way back in the fifth chapter of Luke. And maybe you remember that story, that there were a bunch of guys who had a friend who wasn't able to walk. And they said, don't worry, friend. We heard Jesus is coming to town, and we know where he's at. Well, I don't know if you know how hard it is to shrug around a, a man, but apparently it's pretty hard because they were late. By the time they got to the house where Jesus was, it was full. They couldn't get in. Now, most of us probably said, sorry, I tried, but not them. They said, we're going to get this. So they climbed to the top of the roof. And as Jesus is there teaching and everybody's around him, little you know, pieces of dirt and grass and start falling down. And what in the world is going on up there? And they make this big old hole in the roof. Hope you had insurance for that, brother. And then they lowered the man right in front of Jesus. Y'all remember this story? And then Jesus does his Jesus thing as only Jesus can do. And Luke says, the people were filled with awe. Oh, they were awful, y'all. They were awful. They were full of awe. And here in Acts, this community who has just heard this piercing message about this new life that God offers, they were awful as well. And as they joined this community, they were watching the signs and the wonders that the apostles were doing. And, you know, when we talk about signs and wonders, that kind of bothers a lot of us, makes us kind of uncomfortable, right? Because maybe we've been burned before, or maybe we've seen the greed of supposed faith healers, and we get kind of uncomfortable, Maybe science or other things has helped us explain away the miracle that can happen here in life. But friends, let me tell you, it is very apparent that something was happening in that community that made the people awful. Are y'all with me? Now, it's also very apparent today that something else has happened. You see... We've lost that strong sense, I think, of the awesomeness of God. We've traded the awesome power as churches of God for good education programs and marketing techniques. We've traded the awesome power of God for a very good self-help book or the old network. Y'all with me? We have lost what it means to know the awesomeness of God. We aren't quite as awful as we used to be. Now, we're full of some other stuff. Easy. You church folk, man. I don't I was going to suggest that um, some of us are full of anger. Some of us are full of disappointment. Some of us are full of hatred. Some of us are full of frustration. Some of us are full of resentment. Some of us are full of confusion. 
Some of us are full of apathy. Some of us are full of ourselves. Some of us are full of regret. Some of us are full of pain. Some of us are full of a lot of other things. Did I forget anybody? Sadness. Fear. Remorse. See, friends, a lot of us are full of a lot of other things instead of all. But when we hear God's new way of life and we respond and we devote ourselves to God, God leads us to a new life. God takes all those other things we're full of and shows us how to be full of something else, how to be just all full, how to be full of awe. And friends, it's my prayer that each of us could recapture what it means to know the awesomeness of God. That when we sing our God is an awesome God, we could believe it with every ounce of our faith because we live it, we see it, know it. A lot of us are devoted to a lot of other things. But when we take those baptismal vows or those church vows, membership vows, then we devote ourselves to God's work. And when we devote ourselves to that, then I think very faithfully, very sincerely, very honestly, we could say things like, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Let's pray together. As we pray together, each one of us think about those things that we don't want anymore, those things that get in our way of the life God gives to us. Oh, loving God, you are our shepherd, and you lead us. Help us, God, to hear your voice, to respond by offering you ourselves, so that we could have the life, the abundant life that you, as our good shepherd, gives to us, not just so we can be happy, not so we can feel like we have purpose, but so that we could know awesome you are.